everybody, I'm Steve Weens, and this is my podcast where I explore humanity, spirituality, and mystery one word at a time. For more about my work, my writing, my books, my preaching, and all that good stuff, head on over to steveweens.com. Well, hey, everybody, welcome to This Good Word. Here we are, episode 57, and I'm here with a new friend of mine. His name's Kevin Butcher, and he just wrote a book called Choose and Choose Again, The Brave Act of Returning to God's Love. And I met Kevin in Summers, Montana, when we were both, we both won the lottery and we went uh, to Montana to meet with Eugene Peterson. And uh, so anyway, Kevin and I immediately hit it off. Uh, it's it was It was scary how immediately we kind of fell in love with each other. And so, hello, Kevin. So good to have you on the podcast. Great to be here, Steve. Good to see you, bro. Uh, Kevin is the lead pastor of Hope Community Church in Detroit, Michigan, a messy fellowship of human beings from every racial, economic, and educational background imaginable with one thing in common, he writes. They own their emptiness, and they pursue healing through the love of God in Jesus Christ. And Kevin, I love that. Um, I, I just pulled that right off of your Amazon author page. I love that because that's that's um, how I have experienced you and your own story. Uh, mm. And that's how you talk about, that's how you write about all these different people that you've come in contact with. Uh, and this book, Choose and Choose Again, The Brave Act of Returning to God's Love, is really a series of stories that are heartbreaking redemptive, hopeful. You will cry your way through this book. It is so good. And um, you open the book, Kevin, with these words, I wanted to die. Yeah. And then you told a story about driving over an overpass and having this impulse to veer your car into the embankment. So you want to, if you would, you want to tell that story because I think it's such a good uh, opener for your heart and what you're trying to do in this book. Right. Well, and the reason I, I opened with that, with that story is because that, that was that moment of realizing how empty I was, even though I had everything, I had nothing was where I discovered that the, the thing that I didn't have was, was the love of God. I mean, I had it. I just didn't know I had it. And I, I knew about it, but I, I'd never, ever experienced it, Steve. So, you know, I believed in Christ when I was five years old and, uh, you know, grew up in a performance-based home, and so I performed the hell out of Christianity <laughs> until I was 36. I mean, everything I touched turned to Christian gold, and I, yeah. it wasn't like I was totally wooden or, um, you know, I, I was a human being, but, but I was a good boy, if you know what I'm saying. And so whether it was in high school, whether it was at a Christian university where I played football and became a captain and then went out and shared my testimony— uh, you know, uh, All-American this and whatever. And then I went to seminary and I got awards there, Dallas Theological Seminary. And then I came out in my second church. Uh, we were involved in turning a church around that was a dying church. It was on its way to 2,000 people. And I was speaking everywhere and, and, um, and getting all these accolades. I mean, all this performance until one night after yet another performance where everybody had applauded and said, you're the man. I'm on the way home, bro. And and I mean, it wasn't like I had been thinking about killing myself. It overwhelmed me. The urge to die overwhelmed me so that within 
an instant under that overpass at Allard and 94 on Detroit's east, uh, east side, I almost veered into the embankment, embankment. And if it wouldn't have been for, I mean, there was, I guess you could call this a miracle. My three little girls' lives flashed in front of my face. Yeah. I believe that was the hand of God. And I, and I pulled the steering wheel back and drove home and got on my face and said, what in the hell? What, what is it? I've got everything that the Christian world, that the, the middle-class world, that the Western world says you ought to have. I had it all. Yeah. But I was so empty. And, and that's when I, I began to discover that I didn't know that God loved me. I knew about his love. I didn't know his love. Yeah. And it's interesting to me, um, you were a pastor of a large church. People probably would say, because I know you, oh, Kevin preaches so eloquently and passionately right. about God's love. And yet there was a reality where you weren't experiencing it yourself. Right. And right. I think that's true for a lot of us pastors. I think it's true for a lot of people. They know in their heads about God's love, but they don't have them experienced it. So so you've titled this book, Choose and Choose Again, The Brave Act of Returning to God's Love. Um, talk a little bit about what you mean by that and why you think kind of that's, I mean, that's where it starts and stops. Well, I mean, I, and of course, nobody had ever talked to me about this in 36 years of Christianity. And that's what's astounding to me, Steve, you know, this love that is so central. When you think about that pinnacle of, uh, of Paul's uh, theology in Ephesians, where he prays that prayer for everyone, and he says that we might be rooted and grounded in the love of Christ, that we might know that love that is so high and wide and deep and long. Because to know that love, which is almost unknowable, you know the rest of the verse, we will be filled with all the fullness of God. What do you ever talk to me about that? Right. It was almost like this love thing was a concept to know about in your left brain, but you really didn't have to experience it. Right. I don't believe for a hot second that we're not meant to experience that love. Paul says it's intended to fill us up. Yeah. You know the opposite of fullness is emptiness, and they say that nature abhors a vacuum. So if we don't experience that love, then that vacuum inside of us, Augustine's God-shaped vacuum, if you will, uh, will, will suck the life out of everything around us to try to get filled up. For me, it was performance. Wow. In, in my community, for many people uh, coming off the street, it's, it's drugs and alcohol. For somebody else, it's sexuality. For somebody else, it's, uh, you know, four degrees. For somebody else, it's four wives or five husbands. For somebody else, it's their kids. But nothing will ever fill us, Paul says, except for that love. Jesus says the same thing. You know, he says, love one another and the whole world will, will know that you're with me. And then he, what we miss is that phrase where he says, love one another as I have loved you. Yeah. We kind of assume that everybody gets that. And I'm telling you, I was in the mainstream of Christianity, and I missed it completely. And I promise you, nobody ever told me about it. Yeah, and I mean, it's almost—it it, it is amazing. It's scary. It's amazing, and it's almost like somewhere along the way in the churches that we were all we, that we grew yeah. up in, we replaced experiencing God's love with sort of memorizing God's doctrine. You know, like if so if, if, if you can say. I am a sinner. I uh, am saved by God's grace, by right. Jesus' death on the cross, and I want to go to heaven when I die and and trust God. Th then yeah. that's it. That's all. That then right. you're then 
um, then you get enrolled in the school of in the school <laughs> performing, of, of following Jesus, and then and then you just need to hear your problem is if you're not like obeying the word of God, yeah. which we all know that obedience is a good thing. I mean, right. the path is a path of life. Right. But if we don't obey, it's almost like you just need another podcast, man. You need yeah. another explanation of a Greek word. You need another yeah. sermon. You need another study series. Yeah. And I'm just saying, I had all of that. I was the guy doing that. Yes. Yes. But I didn't know in my heart until I read Brennan Manning's Ragamuffin Gospel, mm. you know, coming off my face in the next few days, God literally, miraculously, where I said, if, if I don't know that, you, if I don't begin to experience your love, if this is what I'm lacking, I'm going to die. I'm going yeah. back out on that freeway. And then somehow, uh, bro, I got a copy of Ragamuffin Gospel by Brennan Manning. Yeah. And that brother, in all of his brokenness, reached through that book. And I, I literally, I wept all the way through it. And I'm going to tell you at the age of 36, I had my first experience of the love of the Father. Wow. And I knew that was it. And I knew that's all I wanted for the rest of my life. I can remember, I think I tell this story in the book, when I began to really feel that he loves me, I remember driving down a street here on the east side in the middle of winter, seeing a mailman and coming with an Anats eyelash of pulling over and running up and embracing that <laughs> human being, saying, do you know? Because I just found out yeah, that God yeah. is my father and he loves me. That's how overwhelming yeah. it was. Yeah. And, you know, that was 20 years ago or so, um, 25 years ago. And when I was with you in Montana, I could tell that was still your heartbeat. I mean, that was still, that is still yeah, your heartbeat because there was a couple of times where you kind of said very similar things to me as I would open up about just some of my own pain and struggles. Mm. And, um, and then, oh my gosh, the stories you tell in your book. I mean, so it's like, I, I don't even know which one to pick, but I, but I did pick one that I wanted you to talk about, although okay. any one of them could be amazing. But <clears throat> there's a guy named Samson, ah. and one of the lines you wrote was, uh, one of my favorite memories in 32 years of pastoral ministry was baptizing yes. this guy named Samson. So tell us, about, tell us about Samson. Well, it's fascinating that you would pick his story. Uh, I'm actually going tomorrow to uh, Milan, Michigan, just an hour away from Detroit here, and I'll be visiting Samson in federal prison where he is serving out the sentence that we talked about. But... Um, he, you know, he was, he was one of the most broken, angry, huge, dangerous, strong, powerful, bipolar, wonderful human beings yes. I had ever met. Yes. When I met him, he had been to jail. He'd never been to prison, but he'd been to jail seven times. And, um, I can remember we gave him a birthday party on like his, I don't know, it was probably his 25th birthday or something. And just the smile, this big gargantuan human being, just, he would, he would look so mean. And then he would break into that smile when he walked in and saw that surprise party, he broke into that smile, um, which just shows that we, we, we all have that little boy or that little girl inside us that just wants to be loved. But he had been so abused so abandoned and um, on every level, you, you name a kind of abuse, he'd experienced it, that he just was full of rage. He, he just uh, used rage to overpower his life yeah. and the feelings of, of, uh, of, of being unloved. And slowly but surely between uh, Sue, my assistant who loved him well, 
uh, between uh, Monique Holliday, who runs our 501c3, was at the building every day, who loved him well, between some other brothers and sisters and a Bible study we used to host on a Tuesday night, who loved him well, between my own love, we spent lots of time together, just riding around in my uh, 1996 green Dodge Durango and, you know, eating Wendy's and uh, just talking and just hanging out and, and even going through some pretty tough experiences where one, I think I tell a story in the book of one day when somebody offended him that was part of our homeless ministry or maybe, maybe it was just a brother at the church there. And I chased him around the block for uh, an hour with him waving his arms, cussing at the top of his lungs about how he was going to F that mother F and mother F. And, and I mean, finally, I said to him, Steve, Samson, I love you, man, but to keep you from going to prison, if you don't chill, I'm going to call the cops now, which put myself at risk. I yeah. don't know if he was going to, you know, yeah. but it was that kind of love, sometimes embracing, sometimes tough, that eventually um, that brother confessed Christ. And I remember even the week we were going to baptize him, I said, Samson, truly, bro, are you ready, man? Are you and we were walking back down Mar down Jefferson there. I remember right where we were standing in front of an abandoned building. And he said, you've got to understand, Pastor, I may not always articulate it the way, you know, you, you might want to hear me articulate it, but I, I get it. It's my time. And we baptized him. And uh, guess what I carry around in a file with me that, that I, that when I travel, I carry around in a file his baptismal certificate. I said, bro, I want you to have this. He goes, no. I want you to have it, so I'll always know where it is if I ever need it. Oh, that was goodness. 2006. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that is you demonstrated the radical, embracing, never giving up love of God to Samson. And I think but, there's. And, and if you don't mind me interrupting, yeah. Steve, let me just say I think one of the reasons I wrote his chapter is because if there was ever a guy that I thought couldn't get it. Yeah. It was Samson. And I will promise you, and for your listeners, I'm if any of them are saying, but yeah, that's great for those people, but you don't know how jacked up I am. Can I tell you, this is a guy that I thought was maybe the most jacked up human being I'd ever been with. He can't get this. Brother, even in federal prison today, he gets it that God loves him. And and I have no other explanation for his transformation from being this raging maniac. Now, he, he did commit a crime that put him in prison. It, and, and, you know, we all, we relapse sometimes. Yeah, yeah. He relapsed and it cost him. It's, it's costing him 10 years of his life. But I'm telling you, this man has changed. And brother, I have zero explanation for his transformation from the inside out, outside of the love of God. Yep. Oh my goodness. So good. So Kevin, um, Man, I love that story. And again, there's so many more of those stories in your book about it's like, no, there's there's no possible way yeah. that this that this story is is going on. Um, there's no possible way this story doesn't end in utter just despair, disaster. Mm -hmm. disaster, but it but it doesn't. And then and then I think you're right, the relapses happen, but that's all part of the journey. It is a part of the journey. It's all part of the journey. It's not about finding some pathway of perfection now that you totally get God's love and you always get it. And once you get it, then you're fine. Nope. And you I, know, I say over and over in the book, I'm not healed. Talking about my journey. I'm yeah. healing. Right. 
And that's why I think choose and choose again yeah. is, is such a potent title that you can get. Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. Cause there's, I mean, we were even talking before we press record here about just areas of our own lives where you think by saying it out loud, yes. you're now you've, you've graduated into really inhabiting that, right. but no, right. <laughs> no, it's still, you still have to learn it. You still have to go through, you know, and it's amazing. Even in a little book like uh, Jude at the end of the new Testament, you know, where you know, all that spiritual warfare is going on at the very end where Jude could close out that letter with anything. He says this amazing little phrase. He says to the brothers and sisters who are, are experiencing all that pain, he said, keep yourselves in the love of God. Yeah, yeah. Now, obviously, he didn't mean um, make God love you. Right. He, he knew that God loved uh, us unconditionally and forever. He meant you've got to keep choosing to uh, put yourself under that umbrella, living into that relationship, uh, because the enemy is constantly trying to convince us that there's something else out there that will fill us up. Yep. Well, that's what you said, nature abhors a vacuum. And so if we're not if we're not getting filled up with God's love, we will I think you said it so well, we will drain the universe dry we will. with trying to get it filled with other things. So in your experience, this is not I'm not talking about a formula, but what's the path? What's the pathway to experiencing God's love? Well, and as you know, I, I tried to outline without making it a step one, step two, right. step three, you know, the way we like it in we, in the Western world. Right. I don't think it's much too relational for that. Yep. But I try to outline some various aspects of living into this. But honestly, the first for me, and I think for all, is to own our emptiness. Yeah. You know, we can, we can either keep faking it that, yeah, 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 I get that. Or, you know we can keep faking that we mostly get it or we can own the fact that you know that job that i have that i'm working 80 hours a week at that i say well you know the man makes me do it well maybe the man doesn't make us do it maybe we're trying to fill up a vacuum yeah maybe that vacuum is intended to be filled with the love of the father or maybe you know in our marriage we're wondering why we continue to have struggles in our marriage and we're pointing at our spouse but maybe we're sucking the life out of them which is what I did in my marriage for the first 10 years um, because I wanted her to fill up a place inside of me that she could never and was never intended to fill up. Yeah. I think owning it, Steve, um, maybe not having to get to the point of crisis like I did, or just maybe owning that the crisis we're in is in some measure a part of our sucking the life out of the universe to try to fill up a space that only the love of the Father can fill up. And then, my brother, I, I think if we own that in desperation and say, I've, I've got to know this love, I think when we cry out to our Abba, just like when your kids and mine over the years have cried out to us, we will move heaven and earth to get to our children. Yes, yes. And the Father, I think, in various ways, will move toward us when he knows that we're finally ready for that love to engulf us. And it may be even a bit of a, a put-on-your-seatbelt kind of a ride at times, you know. Yeah. But I'm telling you, he comes. And in these stories, you, you don't see anything very formulaic. You see folk coming to the end of their emptiness and saying, I've got to know that he loves me. And as they start to... Uh, open up to him, he begins to come to them relationally in the body of Christ and through a Brennan Manning. I mean, he begins to come and slowly but surely heal their brokenness 
and let them know in tangible experiential ways how much he loves them. Yeah. And then would you say that that like that journey just keeps going, right? And then coming to emptiness again and coming to receive God's love again and finding that it, there's an infinite source of that and that that you never get to a point where you go, well, yeah, okay, I've, I think I've seen, I, I've, I've received enough of God's love. Now I can go on in doing the really important stuff, right? That'd be like saying with you and Mary that yeah. one day you can just say, Mary, you know, the first twenty years was about knowing that we love each other. After this, we're gonna do projects together, but we don't have to really rehearse the love thing anymore. It's insane. But the I mean, main thing I need to hear every day from my Abba is, I love you, son. And, you know, to your question again, I don't know if I answered it fully enough uh, about, you know, the pathway. One of the things that I think we do forget is that um, in the New Testament, the body of Christ is intended to be the main vehicle of uh, helping us experience this intangible thing called the love of God. You know, you and I have talked about this. The neurobiologists tell us that the main way uh, neurobiologically that we can be healed from the damaging effects of being unloved is by love, yes. by being loved. Yes. And so should we be surprised, um, Steve, when Peter says, for example, in 1 Peter chapter 4, he says, the end of all things is at hand. So to the body of Christ, he says, above all things, love one another fervently because that love will heal. The, the Greek word is translated cover, but you could very easily translate it heal for reasons I won't get into, get into. That love will heal a multitude of sins. Yep. Now, you and I both know that the word, the Greek phrase above all things means above all things. Yeah. Why would Peter say? You've got whatever else you don't do. You've got to love one another. I think he's saying it because it is that very love that helps heal us so that we can receive the Father's love. Man, Does that make sense? It makes, to me, I, I resonate with that so much. And it makes me feel relieved and also a little angry, actually, because I think, um, again, the church that I've been a part of, I take ownership of it. I, you know, the evangelical yeah. church has put believing the right doctrine about God above all things. It has, it has placed. And so we go on these moralistic crusades about what sin we need to stamp out and what, when, exactly. when all over the Bible, all over the Bible, Jesus and Peter and Paul and all over the Hebrew scriptures talks about what you just talked about, that the, the, the whole deal is, learning to receive and give God's love away. And um, I um, I feel heartbroken. Yes, me too. Um, for myself and for others, that the body of Christ, instead of being the place where people can feel loved, yes. has been such a place of judgment. Um, and I've been a part of that. I own that. Me too. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not pointing the finger. It's me too. And, but also it is this 2016, your book, your, your voice, Kevin is a visionary cry to Mm. return to what matters above all else. And, and I would say, you know, some people might accuse me and others who are about this message. Well, you know, you're just psycho babbling. Uh, I, you know, I went to Dallas Theological Seminary where they 
they, they, you know, you have to have four years of, of theology and two and a half years of Greek and two years of Hebrews just so that you can stay close to the text. Steve, I believe that what we're talking about here is a return to New Testament at its essence, core Christianity. Yeah. Um, I, I think we've made the church into something we attend instead of, of a relational experience that, that we live into. You know, I, I'm glad that you're a good preacher. I'm glad that I'm a good communicator. And I think that's helpful and, and even necessary. The apostles teaching, if you will. But if that apostles teaching becomes this almost entertainment venue, uh, which uh, titillates our left brain into greater understanding, but there's nothing to heal our soul. Yeah. Why did Jesus say when he came out of the closet um, into his messiahship in, in the synagogue in Nazareth. Why did he quote Isaiah 61? I've come to heal yeah. the brokenhearted and set the captives free. He didn't say, I've come to give you a new take on Torah. Right. He said, I've, right. I've come to heal what the enemy has stolen from you and broken in you. Yeah. And part of that will be truth. But a huge part of that is going to be your experience of my love through and in the body that will be called the body of Jesus Christ. Yeah. That's where our unlove, the wounds of unlove get healed. Yes. Primarily. The wounds of unlove, that's where it gets healed. Um and gosh, and I liked how you said that. It's not a either or of truth or love. You either have truth uh -huh. or you have love. It's uh -huh. it's one, it's both sides of the same coin. Yeah. It one leads to the other. It's not dualistic. It's you know, the more truth you get, the more love you get. The more love yeah. you get, the more truth you get. Um, and so I like I like how you said that. I like and how, how about you this? That. If you if you're not healed enough by the way I love you, I can tell you the truth that I love you, but there's no place for that seed to land. It, it'll right. bounce off the hardness of your wound, like like uh, you know a, a child on a trampoline. Yeah. But if I love you, and I love you, and I love you, and I, you experience my love in all the ways that I can love you as a brother, and then, Steve, um, one day I say, and by the way, you know, Steve, I love you, and you've got a father who loves you. All of a sudden, the healing that has occurred allows the truth to have a place to land. Yeah, yeah. That's well said. And, and I know you've experienced that. I have. In your own life and in the lives of your congregation. And so um, talk a little bit more about your congregation because and even the journey. So you started off at this big, growing, monocultural church. Yeah. Uh, and then you left that church and yeah. you ended up at Hope Community Church, which is a place you never thought you would have ended up. So yeah. if you would talk a little bit about that journey and then tell me about, tell us about the beautiful people at Hope. Well, I, you know, I guess if, if I know you as, as authentic as you are, it's okay for me to just say, I got fired from the big church. Um, it, it was a horrendous experience for all of us. And part of it was over race and, and, and us trying to come together as a community that's a safe place for all people and some of the trauma, not trauma, but the difficulty of living into that. There was a lot of reaction, I would say even some racist reaction. And then some of my own, you know, I didn't choose for a hot second to embrace the love of God. I chose to try to kick some 
serious butt, if you will, yeah. in fleshly ways. And so I contributed to, to the mess as well. But I, when I got fired, I was like, man, I'm not, I'm not going to be a pastor anymore. Forget this noise. If, if, this is the pe- if these are the people that love me, I'm done. Yeah. Uh, I need, you know, let me go out and be with some non-believers who will accept me for who I am. And you know how it gets in you that you just, that love starts kicking in again. And I, I, I needed to love some folk and some folk asked me if I come and love them as their pastor. I said, I'm so broken. I'm like, I'm like a guy who's broken a leg and you're asking me to come back and play football on, on, with a cast and a crutch. If you will receive me like this, then I'll come. But this is all I've got. Yeah. Cause I was a mess quite frankly, bro. And so that was 2002. And um, I came and started to pastor this little group, part of which had broken off from the big church because they didn't know what to do. They felt like there was some injustice, didn't know what to do. They weren't trying to start a church, but that's what happened. Yeah. So I began to pastor them. And uh, out of our own wounds, we had a split and about three years later, and then we came to this community on the east side. We moved from a rented building. We bought this building through the help of the Evangelical Covenant. And literally, we simply started to love the community. You know, um, people even to this day when they come in and they go, "Did you have you written a book about your strategy? Yeah. I'll say, honestly, I don't know what to say because I didn't know enough to have a strategy. I didn't, I hadn't read a lot of Bob Lupton stuff. I hadn't gone to all the John Perkins seminars. I just didn't know but I would literally come out the front of the building and our people would do the same. And I would take a young man's hand who might be, you know, smoking a joint or had just thrown a joint away because he saw the pastor coming, you know, (laughs) and I would just take his hand and shake it. And then if he'd let me, I'd, I'd pull him in and uh, hug him and and say, my name's Kevin and I'm, I'm the pastor here. If you ever want to hang out. I remember one young man, his name was Derek. He came back, he got out of the hood, um, went to college, got out of the hood. He came back one time to a Bible study we had, Stephen. He started making fun of me with all the other neighborhood um, young people about how I used to come out and tell everybody I loved them and hugged them. And and, and I laughed because I thought it was kind of, you know, here's this middle-aged white man, yeah. all these young people of color, and I'm coming out and I'm just putting my arms around them. And I said, Derek, your, your point is so well taken. I said, so what do you think now? And he said, oh, oh, now we just know that you love us. Oh, wow. So I, that's all we've really had. And honestly, Steve, we just had a, because of some transitions we're going through, we just took a survey uh, of our people about our church. And the survey was in some ways discouraging to me because I'm like, wait a minute. You're unhappy about this. You're unhappy about that. We are not a perfect community, but it is still the most loving community, the most healing community because of that love that I've ever been involved with. And we've got folk both from the streets who have spent literally, as it says in the book, 40 years, prostitution, uh, serious heroin addiction, crack addiction, and middle class folk who come from the suburbs, but the wounds of not being loved lead you to the same emptiness, yes. which has led us to the same Jesus, which has us fellowshipping in the same community as brothers and sisters. That's yes, us. yes, yes. Um, man, so if, I just want to say this um, to any listeners who are in Michigan. I know we have some. Uh, if you're near Detroit, 
this is a guy you got to get to know and Hope Community Church. And I mean, you know, if you look it up on the map, I mean, it's, you know, and, and <laughs> it's in Detroit, right? I mean, it's not. Yeah, and it's not mega. It's, no. you know, we have a couple hundred folk and uh, if it's not mega, it's not flashy. It's just us. Yeah. Love it so much. Um, I want to come and hang out with you and Carla someday and just be a part of that community. I want to come. Um, so choose and choose again, Kevin is, you know, like, what are your hopes for this book? And, and just let me pause. I can't believe I'm asking that question because I hate getting asked that question, you know, cause my honest answer is like, well, I want to, you know, I want to become famous. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> it. It's like, and I don't really, but I do, but I, anyway, so, but like, so let's, let's just admit you have all the same stuff that I do, but also I have some real hopes for my writing yeah. and, and, and so do you that aren't tied to yucky stuff. They're just real. What are some of the real hopes you have for this book? And, 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 and how can we join in that with you? And that really is a great question. And I, yeah, um, in the best parts of myself, I'll say that, the parts that I, I think are the most uh, who Christ is in me, this is what I really hope. I, I think I wrote this book for folk who were like me, even though I was a pastor. And it's not about really about pastors. It's about folk who, who they may believe. They, they may not believe, but they may believe in Jesus Christ. And maybe they have toyed around with church, sat on the back row of, of a lot of fellowships, a lot of different communities. Maybe they've even worked their way into leadership. And so they're teaching Sunday school and Bible studies, and, and they're kind of up in the upper echelons of the community. But deep inside, when somebody starts talking about the love of the Father, they know that they don't know. Yeah. I, I, those folk who, when somebody, you know, when they're singing these songs about the love of God, and they look around, everybody is raising their hands, or they seem like they're really into it. And what happens is when you don't know that you're loved, there's so much shame, Steve. Yeah. And so you sit there and go, well, I, what am I going to do? You know, out myself? What, who do I even tell? Yeah. Hey, I'm uh, leading your youth ministry, but I have no idea in an experiential way that God really loves me. We don't even know we can tell that truth. Right. I want those folk to know that they're not alone, that there's a whole bunch of us everywhere I've been, Steve, on the planet through translators. I, I mean, everywhere I've been, cross-culturally even, when I share the story of, of, of my own emptiness and wanting, people line up because they're like, finally, I yeah. can tell the truth. Yes. And maybe there's hope that I too can experience with all my abuse of my past or all the neglect of my past or all the religiosity of my past. I can really know that he loves me I want those folk to read this book and know that they have hope and and begin to own their own emptiness and then seek the Father and and partner with the stories of the human beings that are reaching out to the pages of that book to say, walk with me into your own healing. Mm. And and then I, I'm praying that they will take that book and and give it to some others that they know that also I have no idea that the father loves them. Yeah. Well, I'm in, <laughs> I'm, uh -huh. I'm in for that journey. Um, and so here's my, here's my invitation to you listeners, this good word. Um, I believe what Kevin's saying is absolutely true. Uh, that so many of us, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, whether you're Jewish, Buddhist, Hindu, um, 
Muslim, there is an emptiness in you. Um, And again, it transcends religion. It transcends religion. We are broken and empty and we need something. And I think God is so big that God will meet you where you are at. When you do, like Kevin said, when you get to a point where you acknowledge the emptiness and acknowledge the ways in which you have um, gone in all kinds of places. I mean, you listed a bunch of things. Performance, drugs and alcohol, success, marriage, sex, grades, degrees. There's so many things and some of them look great and some of them look not great, but they're all they're all this formula that we're trying to follow in order to fill the emptiness. Then the only thing that can is God's love. And the only prerequisite for receiving God's love is you recognizing your emptiness and you crying out to God. I think that's the pathway. And I want to encourage you all to buy, honestly, I mean, get Kevin's book. I've read it. I know Kevin. I vouch for him. I vouch for his heart. You will want to read this book and you will cry through it. And then my invitation for you is if if it wrecks you, like it wrecks me, and then buy it, buy a book for someone else and, and, and give it to them. Uh, because I think this is one of those, if you're a Brennan Manning fan, I, I told Kevin when I read this, uh, when I was starting to read his books, I, I, I go, oh my gosh, this is like another Abba's Child. This is another mm-hmm. uh, Ragamuffin Gospel. This is 20 years later. This is, you know, for our generation. So buy the book, share the book. Uh, Kevin's the real deal. He's just a really humble, honest, hilarious guy irreverent at times which i love so much and uh so kevin man (laughs) thanks so much for being on the podcast um well and can i just say back to you my brother you know your book beginnings you know i've been reading it devotionally and can i just say you didn't ask me to say this and I'm, i'm not just saying this to be saying it because you said nice things about my book it is good good stuff my brother and it makes me want to come up and extend that June time we had of hanging out. I want to come up and just be yeah. with you because honestly, you, by just being with you, mm. you you did some healing for me in those two or three days that we were together. I want you to know that. And um, mm. so thank you for just being yourself, bro. Well, really, really do love you, man. Really do. Thank you, Kev. I love you too, bro. And um, I really do. And I just, I, I consider myself so lucky to uh, have, have, gotten to know you through our mutual beautiful friend don you babe our publisher who uh brought us together so this is not the last uh step in the journey for us we're gonna we're gonna have you in minneapolis i you know uh we're gonna study with the rabbi together we're gonna have you preach at genesis i mean that just has to happen so um but to those of you who are listening um i'm gonna include a link to buy kevin's book on my show notes but it's again it's called closer than close the Brave Act of Returning to God's Love by J. Kevin Butcher. It's put up by Nav Press. Uh, and, Choose Choose Again. Uh, what did I say? Closer Than Close, but that's not bad. Oh, you know what? I kind of like that. Dave Hickman, my buddy Dave Hickman wrote Closer Than Close, and it's okay, and it's so similar. So you got to get to know Dave Hickman. So okay, I'm, it just, it, I just transposed my mind. So sorry. Uh, Choose and Choose Again, The Brave Act of Returning to God's Love, J. Kevin Butcher. Uh love it so much and um so we end the podcast i just say to those folks who are out there yeah i I wish i could just reach through your microphone steve and pull them close Mm. 
I really wish I could, especially those who are still saying it's not for me. Yeah. I wish I could reach through the microphone and pull them close and whisper in their ear the Father's love. I, I, I really, really pray they'll get honest with themselves today and know they don't have to live with that emptiness yeah. anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. That's your heart. That's your hope. Well, we end the podcast every time, Kevin, by I, I just say this, uh, this sort of phrase, uh, we're dust and we're breath. We're limited and we're limitless. We're human and we're holy and we're in it together. Uh, so I feel that way about you. And uh, we appreciate having you on, man. Thanks so much, my brother. And best of blessings on you and Carla and uh, the launch of this book. Uh, it's a gift to the world. And I hope all the best for it. So Thanks so much, my friend. Thanks, buddy. Yeah.